0: To you from Nashville, Tennessee. This is the award winning reality Radio. My name's Sandman, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour this evening. Hello, everybody, and thanks for tuning in to another amazing episode of your favorite paranormal podcast, Reality Radio. That's right, Friday, February the 1st, 2019. Time for another show. And tonight, I am bringing you. Something that I've thought about talking about for several years, but I just never really have gotten around to it. I'm going to be talking about the Bladenboro Beast, or the Beast of Bladenboro. In the small southeastern town of Bladenboro, North Carolina, there were a series of vampire-like killings of pet and livestock that happened all the way back in December of 1953. The creature that were doing that was doing the killings was described by uh the witnesses as a large cat like creature that was about four to five feet long other people who saw it said that they thought it looked more like a bear and it made these sounds these cries and it was said to sound like a, a baby or even a woman crying but it was louder and more frightening the locals of the area became really afraid to leave their homes after dark and they eventually began to call this thing the Beast of Bladenborough. there were parties of armed men who were organized to hunt down this beast but to this day it still hasn't been caught nor has it been identified should I say concretely identified some say that it was just a hoax other people say it was true and tonight there's my creepy clock going off in the background and tonight here on parareality radio we're going to be looking into the beast of bladenborough and we're going to be discussing is it real was it a hoax is it still alive and could it be out there but before i get into that as you know there are several different ways you can contact me here during the show and i'm going to tell you how to go about doing that right now first of all quickest easiest way to contact me is just email the show and my email address is sandman at parareality.com that's sandman at parareality.com you can also go to the parareality radio facebook page just by going to your uh, search engine there on Facebook and type in the keyword Reality Radio. And I have a Facebook page there where you can find out all about other stuff that's going on behind the scenes with Parareality Radio. You can also follow me on Twitter. My handle on Twitter is at PararealRadio. That's at Parareal Radio on Twitter. And you know you can also call the studio line i still have the studio line up and running after all these years the number to call is 615-692-1170 the studio line usually isn't manned because i'm not doing the show live anymore so you can leave a message it can be a comment it can be a question it can be anything just call me up 615-692-1170 leave a message but be aware that i may play your comment back on the show Just by leaving me the message is giving me permission from you, for me, Sandman, to play your comment back on the show. So if there's something that you don't want to be played back, you need to make sure that you tell me, do not play this back on the show. And you never know, I can also answer the phone because uh, now that I've got the podcast back up and running, I'm in the studio off and on at odd hours of the day and night working on the show. So I may actually be there, and I may actually just decide to pick up the phone and answer, and you can talk to me in person. Ask me the question that you want to ask or tell me the comment you want to tell me in person. You never know. It may happen. Probably not, but (laughs) there's a possibility. All right, so those are all the different ways that you can get in touch with me, Sandman, here on Parareality Radio. Now, before I actually get started into the show, I just want to give you guys a heads up. I'm fighting off some sort of little cold that I'm picking up here, some little sinus issue going on, so um, my voice may sound a little scratchy, and uh, I may cough and or sneeze and sniffle a lot. I'm going to try to not do that. I do have the ability to mute this microphone here in case something unwanted would happen. But uh, just to, just to let you know, I'm going to <clears throat> maybe clear my throat a lot too. I'm I'm going to try to not do all that. Um, I'm getting sick over the last several days. It's the freaking weather up here in Nashville. It's 60 degrees one day, and a day or two later, it's 15 and freaking freezing and snowing and shit. It's just it's killing me. It's killing a lot of people up here. And I do have something to drink as well to kind of keep my my throat lubricated. <laughs> yeah, that sounded great. All right, so now that I've uh, given you all the forewarning stuff, let's get on with this show. Let's start talking about the Bladenboro Beast. What is the Bladenboro Beast? Where is Bladenboro? And how can we find out what what it is? Well, you're going to find out what it is by listening to this podcast, right? All right, so here we go. Bladenboro. Bladenboro is a small community surrounded by pine forests and swamps right out the southeastern edge of the North Carolina Piedmont. This place was the setting for the greatest monster flap in North Carolina history. The greatest monster flap that North Carolina has ever seen. Now this story begins in Bladen County in the town of Clarkton. On December the 29th, 1953, a local woman heard her neighbor's dogs barking and whimpering. When she walked outside of her home to investigate what was going on, she saw a large cat-like creature skulk off into the darkness. That is what is known as the first official sighting of the Beast of Bladenborough. Two days later was when the creature would make its first strike on New Year's Eve, Bladenboro Police Chief Roy Fors was called out to the home of a guy named Woody Storm. Now, two of Storm's dogs had been killed by something that they only estimated to be large and powerful. These dogs' bodies had been completely drained of blood on top of all that. So they were savagely attacked and killed and then all the blood was supposedly drained out of him and of course fours had no knowledge of what this was didn't hear any commotion just came out and found his dogs all dead just messed up so you fast forward to january the 6th several days later so now we're looking at we're into the new year we're a week or so into this first appearance of the beast of Bladenborough. So, we're here in January the 6th, 1954. The Lumberton at North Carolina, Robinsonian newspaper, published a sensational article that was called, Vampire Strikes at Woman, Police Chief Warren's Parents. It began by saying, Worried parents kept a close eye on their children today as a strange vampire beast continued to run the countryside now i have a copy of this article posted up on the website right there on the home page for all you guys to see just in case you may want to read it for yourself this thing is a short article it's just two little columns but it packs you know some good speculative information in there it's a sensationalized you know little story now a um interesting side note to all of this Lumberton, North Carolina is in an area that is known to be the home of the Lumbee Indians. Which, if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know that I have a great affinity for the Lumbies. If you don't know who the Lumbies are, they are the greatest, or the greatest, the largest federally unrecognized Native American tribe. In the continental United States, they're close to a hundred thousand people strong. And to make a long story short, the rumor about the Lumbees is that they are actually the descendants of the lost colony of Roanoke. A lot of their surnames are the same as the surnames of the colonists that were on the boat that came over, and Landed at Roanoke Island. So anyway Could this Beast This creature Have anything to do With the Lumbee Indians Does it have anything to do with their lore Their um, um, You know Who they Quote unquote prayed to Who was their god And all that other sorts of stuff there is a possibility that the Bladenborough bees could be connected, though there's no really definitive proof. And as far as I know, no one's ever uh, looked into this. Now, it's not in any way associated with any type of, of uh, pagan god or anything like that that the Lumbees worship because their religion is a religion of Christianity, and it always has been. So it has nothing to do... With their Native American roots and who they pray to as their God back in you know their ancestry, they've always been a Christian believing tribe. So once again, that kind of goes towards a little bit more circumstantial evidence that they could be from the Lost Colony of Roanoke. So the the uh, fact that the Bladenboro Beast was in the southeast corner of North Carolina. Which is not too far from Lumberton in Pembroke, North Carolina. In that area, uh, well, it's actually all over North Carolina, but that area specifically is where the Lumbees um, originate from. This is where they they are. Um, the The population is the most heaviest, I guess you could say. So, has anyone actually investigated into that? As far as I know, they have not. Now, I'm not going to get too much into this, into uh, this episode of Perialky Radio, but I am going to, in the future, check into this a little bit deeper. Now, I have been to Pembroke, North Carolina. I have looked at the Lumber River. I've been to the Lumber River, taken some pictures. I've taken some other photographs of, of Lumberton, North Carolina. I need to actually put it up on my Facebook page so you guys can see what uh, what this area looks like and i do have contacts who are lumbees and uh, i'm going to be um hopefully sometime in june i'm going to be spending some time with uh some of my contacts from pembroke north carolina and uh, one of the things that we're going to be talking about is is i'm going to ask them if they've ever heard of the bladenboro beast or if there's any type of uh, uh creature like this that's in the uh lore of the Lumbies. so that was a i got off on a little ten, tangent there that's an interesting side note about this whole Bladenboro beast thing okay um <clears throat> so we had this article on january the 6th which is about a week into it right vampire strikes at woman police chief warren's parents right? back it up a little bit to january the first now new year's eve remember woody storm two of his dogs killed by some unknown creature bodies drained of blood. January the 1st, the next day following that, the bodies of two more dogs were discovered. These two had been attacked and drained of blood. Police Chief Forrest decided that it was time to call for help. While this is going on, more reports start coming in. A man named D.G. Pate said that he watched from his gas station or his service station as a dog across the road was attacked by some kind of a large creature and dragged into the woods police chief fours was just inundated with reports of dogs being attacked from all across the county people said that they saw an animal that was quote unquote like a bear or a panther uh, that it was anywhere between three feet long 20 inches high uh with a long tail and a cat's face Uh, others reported hearing the creature scream coming from the swamps of the town saying that it sounded like a woman with a knife stuck in the back so you now have a whole city a whole town and and dare i say even a whole county that's on the verge of uh panic here So, indeed, these sightings and killings have been going on since late December and plunged the people of the small town of Bladendore, North Carolina into states of fear, outrage, but mostly fear, right? There were many eyewitnesses who described this thing also looking like a black leopard. There were some who said it was more like a sleek-looking bear, And you add to this the confusion that the tracks of the creature were said to be kind of dog-like rather than feline in appearance. So you have all of these conflicting reports. It's three feet long, 20 inches high, long tail, cat's face. Looks like a bear. Looks like a leopard. Tracks are dog-like. Screams are very human-like. What is this thing? How much of this was people uh, making stuff up? How much of this was uh, people hearing stuff that they didn't know what it was? Misinterpreting things that they saw and things that they heard. How much of it was actually an unknown, unidentified creature? Well, to make matters worse, there was a team of professional hunters who was brought in from Wilmington to track this thing down and joining this party was chief force and he saw some footprints that he thought belonged to the bladenborough beast and he described them as approximately the size of a silver dollar now I, I don't know the dimensions of a silver dollar so i can't tell you how big it is but it's it, it's a nice sized coin bigger than a half dollar and whatever this thing was that made those tracks if you're looking at him being the size i'm assuming that he meant size and diameter of a half dollar um, of a silver dollar excuse me then this thing wasn't uh gigantic in size but it wasn't small either it was kind of like a, a medium-sized creature maybe about the size of a 50 to 75 pound dog i'm just estimating I know expert in tracks don't claim to be, and I'm certainly no expert in uh, the Bladenboro beast. Um, but it sounds to me like it could be uh, anywhere between 50 to 75 pounds, give or take a couple of pounds on the other side. So the most terrifying aspect of the story was the claim of both the newspaper and the witnesses that saw the creature that this thing sucked blood from its victims. Very vampire-like. So that's how the vampire legend of the Bladenborough Beast came to be. The victims were, for the most part, dogs. However, on January the 5th, the Beast of Bladenborough actually was said to have attacked a human. Now, this person was a woman by the name of Mrs. C.E. Kinlaw. Fortunately, she wasn't injured the animal just simply it it jumped out at her lashed at her and it, it it was according to her going for her dog first and she thwarted the attempts of this thing to attack her dogs and the thing turned on her and lashed out at her she said she heard the sound of her dogs whimpering outside her house and when she went outside to investigate, she saw this large cat-like creature uh, that was that, that turned and saw her as she walked out, and it rushed towards her. So she was scared. Obviously, what she did was she let out this big, huge scream, and that startled her husband, who got up and rushed outside. And as he rushed outside, I guess maybe you could say, coupled between the scream and the husband rushing outside, this frightened off this creature and it ran back into the woods now after it was all over with she said and i quote after we first saw it and my husband scared it away it circled back and came running toward the porch where i was standing i screamed and it stopped on all fours turned and ran off she further says you know the bible speaks of sights and wonders before the end of time this could be one of them the bible's cr- coming true day by day so she was obviously a very religious woman and was thinking oh my god this is some sort of creature that is heralding the end of days the end of time which obviously was is not, was not true um so we, you have this creature this feline type creature that was seen by two people at the same time in the same location scared off circled back around come at them again like it was pissed off and gonna attack them and once again got scared off so you have it attacking dogs kind of in bear with me here for just a second a while, while I talk you through this okay so you have it attacking dogs it gets thwarted when it's trying to get a meal and it acts in retaliation, right? So, this speaks to me of a creature that is intelligent and, dare I say, a little vindictive. Now, what are you looking at here? You're looking at a creature that maybe 50 to 75 pounds is what I'm estimating, right? And the sights of it. Uh, excuse me. The, the the witnesses say that it looks like a a leopard. They're saying that it could be anywhere between what three feet and twenty inches. So, what? And and it sucks the blood from <clears throat> from dogs from animals. What else do we know that kind of fits that description? I'll give you a second to think about it. Okay. Do you have your answer? Because I know I do. I'm thinking chupacabra, right? Chupacabra, it's a medium-sized creature that attacks other animals, sucks their blood, and that's how it lives. And it has been known when when it's been thwarted from getting its meal, it turns on the person who thwarted it. If you shoot at it while it's trying to kill your livestock, it's going to come turn around and focus its attention on you and come after you. That's happened many times before. So is this, now Now, it, the descriptions of the chupacabra doesn't fit exactly this type of creature. But modern day cryptozoologists are looking at the chupacabra as being more canine-like. This is a description of a creature that's kind of feline-like, although we have some varying uh, discrepancies in what it actually looks like. So, is this another version of a Chupacabra? Is it uh, some sort of kin to the Chupacabra? Once again, I don't know if anyone has made this connection or not, something that I plan on investigating a little bit further, but it's something to keep in the back of your head. So could this thing be a cousin to a chupacabra? Could it be an actual chupacabra that uh, came somehow got over here from Puerto Rico? Um, no, you don't. You you don't know. So we have two possibilities here, theories of what this thing could be. That as far as I know, no one has ever explored. Number one, could it be some sort of uh, Lumbee Indian? Native American creature from legend? Or could it be some version of a Chupacabra, an American Chupacabra? Who knows? Now, getting back to the story here, one of those whose dogs were unfortunately killed by this thing, whatever it was, was a dude by the name of Johnny Faust. Excuse me. And he said that his dogs put up a really good fight, that there was blood... All over the porch, big puddles of blood, and there was a pool of saliva, what he described as saliva on the porch as well. It supposedly killed one dog at 10:30 uh, at night and just left it lying there. And Johnny said that his dad went outside, wrapped the dog up in a blanket, and later on that the beast came back and got it and took it off and no one knows what it did with the carcass of the dog then you fast forward to 1 in the morning it comes back again because hey i've already got one meal midnight snack time here right so i'm going to go back to where there's i know there's food so it comes back again at 1 in the morning and kills the other dog and takes it off too now the second dog they found dead three days later, and the top of one of the of, of that dog's head was torn off, according to Johnny, and its body was crushed and wet, like it had been slobbered all over, like it had been in the thing's mouth, and the jaw was uh, completely torn off. The bottom jaw was completely torn off. Now it has to be some sort of powerful creature to tear off the, the top of a dog's head as well as the the bottom jaw especially the top of the head that has to be something that's got powerful jaws itself so as this carnage continued you get some more stories that start to pop up and there's one of uh, a story of uh, full-grown pigs that were found with their skulls crushed and their limbs torn off like some sort of you know violent bloody attack had happened there. Other farm animals were found to be dead, their heads severed and some of them some of their heads just completely missing. So by now you have all of these reports of dogs and pigs, other farm animals being found mutilated, drained of blood. you have two or three people who are saying, "This thing attacked me." So, now you're getting the whole town on edge here. So, children, the parents, of, the parents of children, they started saying it's not safe you go to school. They keep them away from school. Nobody wanted to be outside after sundown, or excuse me, after sunset. And, I mean, can you say this isn't something really that would surprise you, right? I mean, after all, there's reports of some sort of deadly, monstrous thing that's killing livestock slaughtering them and attacking people so there's a killer out there some supernatural killer and we're talking 1953 here we're at the height of the cold war we're at the height of uh, fears of nuclear bombs being dropped and we're at the the, the beginning in the very first throes of the ufo craze so there's all these things going Going on, and you know what are you supposed to think? what are these people? Where are these people supposed to think? Now I found a report of, uh, and I I don't know who said this. It's just we'll just say this an unnamed witness. This person says, "I got two dogs, Niggy, the little black one, and Pee Wee, a brown one that's bigger. Me and my wife." We're sitting here in the living room. We heard the dogs get awful restless. My front light was on, and Larry Moore had his back light on. I glanced out the window and saw this thing. It had me plumb spellbound. It was about 20 inches high. It had a long tail, about 14 inches. The color of it was dark. It had a face exactly like a cat. Only I ain't ever seen a cat that big. It was walking around stealthy, sneaky, moving about, trying to get to Niggy and Pee Wee. I jumped for my shotgun and loaded it and went out to shoot it, but it moved into the darkness right away, and I couldn't find him again. So, that is a very detailed description, probably the best description that we've got so far. 20 inches high, a long tail that's about 14 inches, dark in color, with a face that looked like a cat, except it was a big cat, right? And I, I apologize for using the, the N word, but that's what the guy's black dog was named, Niggy. I gotta admit, when I first read this, I, I kinda laughed because that was, was pretty funny. <laughs> so you've got this guy, this unnamed witness. That gives us right now the best description of what this thing was so such was the sheer level of hysteria that gripped Bladenboro that at one point on January 5th 1954 more than 500 people showed up all of them armed to the teeth and you had 500 people out in the swamps and the woods all around Bladenboro now that was something that the local police, Chief Fors, and and I don't blame him, thought was a bad thing. So the authorities took an, an even like dimmer view when the next day on the sixth the figure was estimated to be in around the eight hundred number range of people who was out in the swamps and the woods looking for this creature and then the day after that 24 hours later it said that there was probably a thousand people or more looking for this thing in the woods now i'm going to say i don't believe in those numbers i think those are highly exaggerated inflated numbers uh people's uh, minds don't you know you're trying to recall stuff and 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 the excitement of things you're gonna oh there's a thousand men out there and there might have been ten you know so I don't believe that there is ever as many as 500 people out looking for this thing, but there were wide. I mean, this thing by now had been picked up all over the country, and and uh, newspapers were running stories about this thing, and Bladenboro was overwhelmed with a whole bunch of, of hunters coming in. Some from uh, uh, there was one report that there was 600 people from here in Tennessee that came into the town to try to kill this thing Um, there was a fully armed pack of fraternity brothers from uh, University of North Carolina Chapel Hill that uh, came down to uh, hunt this Bladenboro beast now I I, once again I think you know the reports of 600 people from Tennessee is inflated I not one shred of me believes that there were 600 people from just from the state of Tennessee alone that came down to try to kill this thing. Once again, do I think that there was a lot of people? Yes. Do I think people from all over the country came for this thing? Yes, I do. Because as I said, now newspapers all over the country had picked this thing, had picked up the story, and they were running uh, stories about it all over. So there's always going to be people that are going to come in but nobody knew exactly what it was they were hunting. Now, there was speculation, of course. Uh, Some people thought that it was a uh, a Carolina panther, which is a species of large cat that lived in the area up until the early 20th century, but had been thought to be extinct. Uh, Other people said that um, what they were looking for was a coyote or even a stray dog, something like that. Now most of the people who came into to, came into bladen county thought that the only way to find out for sure what this thing was would be to obviously track it down you know hunt it and kill it now at one point there was a unusually large bobcat that was shot and killed in the area and uh there was also reports that a leopard was uh, hit and run over by a car. Some people thought, well, that's it. You know, one of these two things is the Beast of Bladenboro and all this is going to come to the end. But unfortunately, that wasn't it because the attacks continued. Um, So this either was a case of they didn't get it or that there was more than one of these things maybe even an entire pack that was a speculation so as you can can guess everybody in the town by now is freaking terrified you've got this unknown creature that's attacking animals killing them brutally sucking all the blood out of them is attacking humans and now you have scores of people whom you don't know, not from there, descending upon this town, armed to the teeth, looking for something that they don't even know what the hell it is. That's All of that is just a freaking accident waiting to happen. So I can can guess, as well as you, that everybody in the town was freaking probably pretty scared by now. There was a dude. He he was uh, named uh, Ev Butler, and he said that nighttime was when everybody feared the most around there. Because at sunset, the entire community on the west side of town went indoors and didn't come out unless it was absolutely necessary. That's how he described the what was happening in the town as far as the the the, the locals went. But this beast this creature the fear of this thing had a very real effect on the people of the town Um, people who lived outside of the town limits around at this time that was going on um, didn't have indoor plumbing a lot of them so they had an outhouse and to supplement this outhouse, people had a thing that was called a thunder jug, which was a big jug that could be used at night and emptied into the outhouse during the day. And people began to not go outside to use the bathroom like at all anymore, and started using these privy jugs, these thunder jugs, uh, during the night instead of getting up and going out to the outhouse now the the thunder jug was used only in times of severe weather or if it was say in the middle of the night when you wake up at two in the morning and you gotta pee instead of getting up and going outside you just use the thunder jug right any other time you're gonna go out now people are using these jugs stinking up their houses and not going outside to the bathroom. Now, why am I putting that in there? Because I want you to know how much of a, an effect this had on people who were even living outside of the town limits. So things were getting really dangerous around there because of all this. So now you have the mayor starting to get involved too. This guy's name was Bob Fussell. So he got together with the uh, Chief Force and on january the 13th they were like we we gotta stop this we can't have people coming into the town we're gonna stop this hunt everybody get the hell out so that bobcat that i talked about that unusually large bobcat that had been killed so they decided okay this is this is the culprit this is what we're going to say is the bladenborough beast so they strung it up on a flagpole in the center of town and put a sign up underneath it that said this is the beast of Bladenborough. in the story we want everybody out this is what's been killing all of our animals and attacking people a big-ass Bobcat so whatever the truth of the matter was it was never resolved to the satisfaction of the people in Bladenboro by the middle of the month by the middle of January all the killings and the attacks had stopped and things started coming back to normal and whatever this beast of bladenborough was it seemingly had vanished back into the the swamps or wherever it was that it came from and it was never to be seen again that is until 2008 about 11 years ago the attacks supposedly started back up again. So you've got from 1954 all the way up till 2008, you've got 50 plus years of peace, no creature, and then mysteriously in 2008, some attacks started up again just in the middle of, come from the middle of nowhere, just like they did in 1954. That's when the History Channel got hold of this thing, and if you remember, around this time, they had a popular show called Monster Quest, which I really liked that show. Well, the producers of Monster Quest got hold of this thing, and they dedicated an entire episode to the legend of this blood-sucking, skull-crushing beast that gave people so much terror back in 1954 and they concluded that it was probably uh, a large uh, cat of some nature either a cougar or a panther or something like that however there certainly whatever it was was something that killed all these dogs in the woods of bladenboro in the early days of 1954 but what exactly that something was and whether it warranted the height that went around it Well, that's unknown. Was it the same creature that came back in 2008 for a very brief amount of time and supposedly killed some more animals and stuff like that? We don't know. Probably not. But there was a lot of hype about it. But hype is something that the residents of Bladenboro knew pretty well. For a small North Carolina town, Bladenboro was home to an unusually high number of showmen In prominent positions and among these people was the mayor himself his name was Woodrow Fussell known as Bob and guess what he just so happened to be the owner of the local movie theater so now we're getting somewhere here are you getting where I'm going it was mayor Fussell who was the first person to call the newspapers And organized a party of professional hunters to come in from wilmington it was also mayor fussell who booked a horror movie appropriately named the big cat to come to the theater that he owned right during the peak of all this excitement and he advertised it as now you can see the cat we've got him on our screen and in technicolor so now we have a part of the story that not many people are familiar with right so instead of looking at a more supernatural or paranormal aspect of it let's look at it from the standpoint that this could have all been a hoax and what more perfect person to pull off a hoax of this nature than probably what could arguably be considered the most powerful person in Bladenborough, which would be Mayor Fussell this guy was the mayor so he could have the authority to call hunting parties he could have the authority to call newspapers and have reporters come in he also was a well-off person he owned the local theater and what better way to call attention to his theater and to the town of Bladenboro and make him some money make the town some money than Creating this hoax. So let's look at what was going on nationally in the 1950s. Okay, I'd already talked already talked about we're at the height of the UFO craze. We're at the height of the Cold War. The Cold War is just starting, should I say? And everyone's th- is scared of the nuclear bomb. You're having uh, you know bomb drills and all this other sorts of stuff. Where the height of the UFO craze and now we're getting movies are starting to be really big the war's over now we have the movie craze coming in and what was the most popular genre of movies in the 1950s well one of them was science fiction movies and what did science fiction movies consist of stuff about mutated creatures from nuclear radiation. So now you have a perfect scenario set up for someone who was a powerful figure in Bladenborough, who owned a movie theater and could have the authority to call newspapers, call hunting parties and bring all these people and all this attention to his town into his movie theater and another thing that was going on with theaters movie theaters back in the 1950s was gimmicks in promoting their films Uh, most famously uh, William Castle was he was like a master of it he would do things like install buzzers in the seats of the movie theaters and uh, he'd like uh, have ambulances waiting outside just in case anyone was overcome during a show Um, he would make people uh, sign like a waiver that you know you shouldn't watch this and if you do I'm not gonna be held responsible for whatever happens to you so with stuff like this going on you look at mayor Fussell who owned a theater so you can't really blame him for You know, saying, hey, this could be a good way for me to make some money. This is a good gimmick for me to go with, right? Now, there was also another Bladenboro resident named Dick the Half-Man Hilburn who was born with no legs and only one arm. Now, this guy had a genuinely remarkable career. He traveled with the circus for several years and he worked as a tattoo artist and uh, ran a sideshow with his partner, partner Carl the Frog Boy Norwood. I'm not making this up, people. You can't make this stuff up. So you've got the half man and the frog boy running a sideshow in a circus and giving people tattoos. I mean, this is real stuff here. So frog boy had went back to his, uh, not frog boy, excuse me, half man. Dick the Half Man Hilburn, he went back to his hometown of Bladenboro after getting tired of traveling with the slideshow, and he was a much loved member of the Bladenboro community. Now he was known for endlessly entertaining children, doing tricks on the skateboard, and causing people to you know uh, marvel. For lack of a better word of the seemingly endless number of feats he could accomplish despite his disability and in addition to his many other skills that he had the half man was a talented artist who set up shop as a sign painter after he went back home to bladenboro and when all this stuff started happening with the bladenboro beast naturally he saw an opportunity So he began to produce license plates and other memorabilia with his depiction of the Bladenborough Beast painted on it. And as you can imagine, he had no trouble selling these things to the scores of hunters, sightseers, and other people who descended on the town. Now, could the half-man, Dick the Half-Man Hilburn, and Mayor Fussell been in cahoots with one another. This is something that's also a possibility. Um, You've got a guy who was born with a disability, who got tired of traveling around the circus, or with the circus, who had an incredible talent, comes back home, sees an opportunity to make some money, and maybe he got in cahoots with the mayor. it it doesn't matter whether he did or didn't he definitely prospered off of whatever was going on now mayor fussell in an interview several years after the event said and i quote a little publicity never hurt a small town and by his own admission he said that the bladenboro beast was 10% real and 90% imagination. And Mayor Fussell definitely had a hand in stoking that imagination. But I don't think he ever, ever really anticipated how out of control this whole situation would get. So the story had been in the newspapers and people just couldn't get enough of this. right? So you have a slow news week going on because it's after the holidays. Not a lot's happening, so you have this sensationalized story, and naturally, it's going to get a great deal more of, of attention than you would expect, right? The only at that time, the only other you know big news story that was going on was that uh, there was some local kid uh, named Andy Griffith. Who was making his first appearance on the Tonight Show? So, yeah, Andy Griffiths, don't forget, he's from North Carolina. So, the national news was slow that week, too. You had the local news being slow. But the only other thing going on was, you know, local boy Andy Griffith is on the Tonight Show. But the national news was slow as well. And newspapers from across the country, remember, picked up this story. And as a result, there were far more people than what you could imagine that had become fascinated with the Bladenboro beast and you've got a small town in North Carolina with a very small police force and you've got a bunch of people and I'm not saying it was a thousand people that they were you know the story said but you got a lot more people than probably what they could deal with coming up into the town and you've got with, with these people are gonna come stuff that you know you don't want to have you got the bad riffraff as i call it you know and all of them are armed to the teeth so you've got a lot of people coming in all of them armed probably going to be partying and drunk and you've got chief fours with his small police force and you know i'm sure he's like hey there could be some bad stuff going on here so the decision to call an end to the hunt came about As far as I'm concerned, because there was a very real danger that somebody could get hurt or worse. You have a drunk hunter out there in the swamps and the woods that sees something flash off in the distance or hears something, doesn't really know what it is, shoots first, asks questions later, and now you've got a shot, injured, and or dead human being. So that's why you're going to call an end to this thing that's going on. And I'm not saying that Chief Forbes was in cahoots with Mayor Fussell. That's, That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you've got a police chief in a small North Carolina town with not a big police force and they're not able to handle the mass influx of drunken armed hunters that were coming in. So what exactly was the Bladenboro beast? What exactly killed those animals and attacked those people. Well, we probably won't ever really know what that was. But dogs disappearing or being killed in a rural community isn't really all that uncommon of an event, right? A a, a fabulous story about a vampire killing dogs that thousands of people across the nation becomes enamored with Definitely is an unusual story, and something like that is definitely going to happen a lot less often, right? But the excitement that started the whole affair may have been helped along from people within the town. You see, to some people, seeing a bunch of drunken hunters chase stuff through the woods looking for some sort of monster can be a pretty good laugh, right? For the local residents, <clears throat> there have been. A lot of rumors that persist to this day that a group of men in Bladenborough fanned the flames of the story, spreading more excitement uh, and more exaggerated tales of the beast to the news media just to see who would believe them, just to make fools out of all these people who were coming into them. So the Beast of Bladenborough incident may have been what could essentially equate to the largest snipe hunt in history if you don't know what a snipe is you need to look it up and if you've never been snipe hunting email me and i'll take you so today the fuzz in 1954 is a source of pride for the town of Bladenboro, and the town even hosts a yearly event called beast fest to commemorate this event now it's become one of the fastest growing festivals in southeastern north carolina and it's always held on the last weekend of October. As a matter of fact, 2019 is the 13th year for the festival, and there's a bunch of live entertainment that goes on. There's, it's free. There's no admission for attendees, and people all have a good time. And uh, it's it's more like a like a fair than it is a uh, a celebration for the, for the beast. Now, I've never been to it. Obviously, would I like to go? Mm, I don't know. I'm going to talk to my contacts in uh, in Lumbyland, as I call it, and uh, see if they have uh, ever been to uh, a Beast Fest, or maybe even they've even heard of it. So, I don't know. But that does it with my investigation into the Beast of Bladenburg. So, we're left with, really, more questions than we are answers with this thing. Was it a unknown, unidentified, feline cat like creature? Maybe. Could it be something from the that has to do with the Lumbee Indians? Maybe. Could it be a cousin to a chupacabra, an American chupacabra, or maybe even a real Puerto Rican chupacabra? Maybe. Could it have been all a hoax perpetrated by the mayor of Bladenborough? Maybe. More questions than we have answers. But I have presented to you, dear listener, the evidence. And now I will let you decide on what you think the beast of Bladenborough actually was. Have you got an idea you want to tell me? Well, here's how you can get in touch with me let me know what your thoughts and comments on the Bladenboro Beast are. My email address is sandman at parareality.com. That's sandman at parareality.com. Or you can get in contact with me on my Facebook page. Just go to Facebook and type in Parareality Radio on your Facebook search. Or if you've got Twitter, you can follow me or direct message me on Twitter. My handle there is at parareal radio that's p-a-r-a-r-e-a-l r-a-d-i-o at parareal radio or remember you can always call the studio line and leave me a message or a comment that number is 615-692-1170 once again that number to call is area code 615-692-1170 you can also find me at www.parareality.com now if you call the studio line be aware that I may play your comment back on the show. Um, so just by leaving me a message um, is giving me permission to play your comment back on the air. Well, it's getting about time to wind it down, everybody. I hope that you enjoyed tonight's show. Once again, let me know what you thought about it. Send me that email, par- sandman at parareality.com. Uh, speaking of parareality.com, I urge you to visit my website. That's where you can find all kinds of stuff out about Parareality Radio. If you go to the Extras tab, you can uh, join the official Parareality Radio forum. It's free to join. You can shop in the Parareality Radio store, even watch some videos and stuff that I have posted up there. Also, I have a brand new section of the website. It's the news section that brings you the latest and greatest paranormal news headlines and stories each and every day is updated, so if you need to get a news fix for paranormal news, just go to the parareality.com and look on the news feed tab. And don't forget, once again, to follow me on Twitter, at Parareal Radio. I'll tweet out announcements like special guests and topics and stuff like that. So be sure to follow me on para, at Parareal Radio. Well, I'm going to wind it down, everybody. The next show is going to be on Friday, February 15th, 2019, at 8 o'clock p.m. Central U.S. time. I'm going to have my part-time co-host back in the studio, Mr. Eric Patterson, and we're going to be talking about the Hollywood Starwhackers that Randy Quaid is uh, famously, or should I say infamously famous for. Uh, do they exist? is there a real group called the hollywood star Packers that is out to control and ruin major hollywood stars we don't know you'll have to turn on tune in and find out friday february the 15th at 8 p.m central time everyone i hope that this radio program opens your minds up to new ways of thinking expands your consciousness and produces a change in the way you see the world if you wish to change You must lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. Everybody have a wonderful evening and I will be talking to you again in two weeks. Good night, everybody. If you wish to change, you must first lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe.